Oh, I'm James. I'm one of the pastors here at Focus 314. Have you enjoyed this sermon series so far, Name Droppers? I know I have. We've got to hear about Gideon and how we are mighty warriors. We were reminded of the power of the Lord's Prayer. And then last week we heard about Jonah and got to hear about how our journey starts with true surrender. Next week, Pastor Darren is back. Now, don't get too excited, <laughs> but I know I am. It's been, been a great, and he's going to actually continue this sermon series, so we get to hear more name droppers. However, today I'm going to do something that we haven't done this sermon series, and we actually didn't do it last year when we did a similar series about name droppers. Before I share that, though, let's look at Hebrews 12.1. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, it describes a great cloud of witnesses. These are the name droppers that aren't here physically, but they're people that we can look at, look at their stories, and as we run our race, and because we all have a race to run. So all of the name droppers that we've talked about so far this series have been male. They've all had one thing in common. They've all been male. Last year was the same. So I decided to choose a female name dropper, and that's Rahab. Rahab is the person we're going to be talking about today. She's listed as one of the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11.31. So 12 talks about this great cloud. And then 11 actually describes the cloud, who, who those name droppers are. And here is how she's described in this. It says, by faith, the prostitute, Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now look at how she's listed. She's listed as the prostitute. This doesn't sound like a lot of qualifications to be in the Bible, but here's what I love. I love this statement. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And this is what God does best. And if you look at Hebrews 11, you'll see a lot of flawed individuals. It's basically what I call the biblical hall of fame, and it lists several biblical figures that were flawed in a major way. Paul is listed there. Talk about someone who was messed up. You know, he went from persecuting Christians and sending some of them to their death to being a pillar of the faith. And that's really hard to relate nowadays. That would be like an ISIS terrorist having a conversion experience and becoming the Pope. That's the <laughs> easiest way that I can explain it that I've heard. That's just one story. There's so many others. Abraham is listed there. He was a liar. Moses had major anger issues. David had a purity issue. He was someone that I couldn't trust with my life or my wife. Peter, man, talk about someone who had anger and abandonment issues. He went from cutting off someone's ear in defense of Jesus to denying him. But what did God do with these individuals? He took their mess and turned it into his message. He used every single one of them. And most of them aren't listed, though, with their struggle. And Rahab was. God did something different in, in Scripture. Her struggles listed, as I said, she's described with, as the prostitute. But here's what's awesome. Later in Matthew, Matthew 1.5, she is actually described in the genealogy of Christ. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And here's what's interesting. She's not listed as the prostitute anymore, but in Hebrews, she is. I believe there was some intentionality here. First, that she was included in the genealogy of Christ. God could have easily whitewashed it, but he did something even better. 
through our faith, Christ washed it away with his blood. She was listed as a prostitute, and in Matthew, she's not. Jesus changes the game, and he changes us. We just need to be willing to be used by him. And sometimes being used by him means that we have to make some irrational decisions, some decisions that don't make sense at the time. And I chose Rahab because she is a great example of someone who was willing to be used by God, even if it was an irrational decision that she had to make. Now, it only takes one chapter of the book of Joshua. So stick with me. I'm going to summarize it. But I want to give you guys some, some background. Now, before Rahab, we had Moses who was leading the Israelites through the wilderness. They were seeking the promised land. God had delivered them from Egypt. He split the Red Sea. There's all these amazing things happening. They're supernaturally defeating their enemies. And now they're being led by Joshua. And they're ready to enter the promised land. However, ahead of them is the town of Jericho, fortified city. And so Joshua decided to send a reconnaissance party with these instructions. Here's what it says, Joshua 2.1. Go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Let's continue. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Let's continue. 2.3. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have, they have come to spy out the whole land. Let's pause here because here's what's interesting. The king of Jericho was pretty important. Think about the hierarchy there. He is probably, he's the highest you can get and she's probably one of the lowest. And in that environment, the lowest yields to the highest. And the king is about as high as you can get. Notice that he actually says, sent this message. He doesn't even go there in front of her presence, he sent someone else to get her this message. Now, she knew that there was a higher authority than the king, someone even higher than the king. And she did something that would be unthinkable in this environment. She hid the spies, and she did not yield to the king. Let's continue the story and look at what she responded with. She said, but, but the woman who had taken the two men hidden them, she said, yes, the men came to me, this was to the king, but I did not know where they, they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up to them, but here is the secret. She had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax that she had laid out on the floor. So let's pause again and look at maybe why she did this. Maybe she was raised in a godly household. Maybe she had godly parents. Maybe she had positive people influencing her. Actually, none of these are true. Let's look at her background. She was a Canaanite, not an Israelite. She was a prostitute. She was unqualified, essentially. That's what we're saying. However, there's one thing that set her apart from anyone else and everyone else in Jericho. She had heard about God and she believed that he was the true and living God, and then she did something about it. And so here's the story continuing. This is what she says to the spies. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reds for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. So she believed but it wasn't just her belief. It took more than that. It took two action steps, and that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what set her apart from everyone else in the entire town of Jericho. First, she surrendered to God. 
despite her position in society, despite the fact that she may have felt unqualified or maybe other people uh, felt that way, she surrendered to God. Here's the second thing she did. She had faith. Her faith is what saved her, literally and internally as well. Her faith saved her because in Joshua 2, 12 through 13, this is the conversation that takes place where she asks to be saved. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. And they do, they swear to it. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Now, she follows through, and the Israelites cross the, the Jordan. They camp at Gilgal. They get to Rahab's town, Jericho. We all know the story of the dramatic fall of Jericho. And we fast forward. Rahab is again mentioned after that fall of Jericho. And it says in actual Joshua 6.21, it says that they destroyed all the men, all the women, young and old, cattle, sheep, donkeys. They were doing a lot of destroying, but here they kept their promise. Let's see what it says here. Joshua 6.22. Joshua said, let's continue to 23. So the young man who had done the spying went in and they brought out Rahab her father, as they promised, her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her, they brought out her entire family and they put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. And they ended up burning the whole city, destroying everything in it. But again, in 625, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men. As I mentioned before, though, her story doesn't end here. She's mentioned again in the genealogy of Christ, Matthew 1.5. I love, love this fact that she's listed in the genealogy of Christ. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. She had a lasting legacy. Her one decision led her to be listed in the genealogy of Christ. What about you? Do you have a lasting legacy? You can have an impact on your family just as she did, saving family and all who belong to them. Rahab had an impact, and we can do the same. What if we could be better husbands, better wives, better fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, better friends, better citizens, better church members, better employees by being intentional about our legacy? There's a great commencement speech by Admiral Rick Raven about this topic, and he was speaking at a commencement, and there was 8,000 people, and he told them, you guys have the opportunity to impact 800 million people over the next 125 years. And how he calculated that was he said, if they just reached 10 people in their lives and then the next five generations did the same, they will have ch changed the lives and impacted 800 million people. So using the same math, who's walking in the door today, this is how many people we, we could impact. If we just change the lives of 10 people and then our next five generations do the same, 2.8 million people. That's roughly the size of St. Louis metro area. Isn't that amazing? When I first heard this story, I thought, though, 10 people, man, that's a lot. Um, but then I thought about uh, my immediate family, my extended family, my friends, strangers. And I believe that everyone can have an impact. I believe everyone has a God-given legacy. And our mission on earth 
is to fulfill that. And maybe it's multiple purposes, multiple people. Maybe it's more than 10. I don't know. That's between you and God. But here's what I do know. Doing nothing is not an option. You are too important for that. Wherever you are in life, God has a plan for you. He wants you to fulfill your God-given legacy. Everyone has one. We need to do what God wants us to do. Here's the best way to think about that. Ask yourself this question. What is the God-given legacy that he wants me to fulfill? Most of us, as I said, have one or, or more. Some of us, it's a career path that we have that God wants us to impact, have an impact on our community. Maybe it's a job that you know you need to get into. Maybe you're in a job right now that you know is not God's path for you. And you know that he has something else in mind. I've been in this situa situation on two occasions. The first time I was working in retail as a store manager and it was good money, but I didn't like the person that I was becoming because in this environment, you had to sacrifice your family and my boss, it was sacrifice your spiritual life. Wouldn't give me off Sunday, wouldn't give me off opportunities to be involved in my church. And I just realized that looking myself in the mirror, I didn't want to keep doing that. And I changed jobs and I took a huge pay cut to do it. I went into social work and uh, we ended up moving, Brene and I, we moved from Oklahoma to Washington DC and we both had great jobs. I actually had a job that gave me a flexible work schedule where I can actually pay, take pay, paid time off for volunteering. And that's when I started getting involved in celibate recovery and serving as a volunteer for it. And then we moved from Washington DC to Mesa and I had to start completely over. I took the first good paying job that I had and I ended up back in that same situation that I was where it required me to sacrifice my family, my spiritual life for my job. And for me, I, I did have off the weekends, but I was getting more involved in, in recovery ministry and it was just, just tough to do everything. But I remember Sunday evening, I had off, that would come around and I would just dread that Monday. I would get stressed out. I would hate going to a job that I knew wasn't God's purpose for me. But then I remembered how he came through for us when we moved to Washington, D.C. Oklahoma has a pretty low cost of living. I had a, a house that I only paid, I think it was $51,000 for a house. And then I moved to Washington, D.C. and we're paying about $1,900 for a 750 square foot apartment. But God took care of us. And I was still actually uh, making Oklahoma salary when I moved because I was working from home and then I found a great job. But he did come through when we moved here to Mesa. Uh, we found a great church, hint, it's here. <laughs> it was a church with a great pastor who preached a sermon about having margin. And this was that time period where I didn't have margin, had a job that's asking me to sacrifice my family life, spiritual life. And so what I did was I quit my job without having anything else besides that volunteer work. Now, I don't recommend everyone do, do, does that. Darren actually has talked about this and says, now don't do that, but it worked out for me because soon after this, at Saddleback Church uh, actually gave me a paid job doing that volunteer work, but actually paying me to do it. Um, and it, it involved building up recovery programs across the nation. And it was a dream that I didn't even know was possible. I didn't even know that that was something that he had, uh, uh, something that could be that God-given legacy that, that I could 
focus on and, and work on. Maybe God has a dream, a legacy in mind for you. I know he does. You just need to surrender to God and have faith. I want to share a video that shows what this looks like. It's from the rehearsal uh, for the movie The Greatest Showman. Kiala plays the bearded woman, and she's rehearsing her song, This Is Me. And I I watched uh, a little bit before this. The director keeps asking her, get behind the music stand and really sing the song. And she does it in this video, and it shows the impact that she has and the impact it has on others. Learn to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say.
Now, I relate to that video because there's been so many times in my life where I needed to step out of that comfort zone and do my, my, what my, I'm being asked to do by God. And she took a, a step out of that comfort zone, and it had an impact on her and everyone else. And I don't know what that comfort zone looks like for you. Maybe you're watching this on YouTube, and you're watching this in the comfort of your own home, and you don't have a church home. I'm telling you, this is a great place to get connected because here's a hint. Let me speak to everyone now, not just those watching on video. Here's a hint about fulfilling your God-given legacy. It involves relationships. Relationships are key to fulfilling your God-given legacy. Now, whether it's a relationship with God, a relationship with a Christ follower, improving a current relationship, relationships are key to fulfilling that God-given legacy. Maybe there's a relationship right now that you're thinking about that you know you need to work on. You know if that person were to die, there were some things that you didn't say. You would have some regrets. Maybe it's a person that gets on your last nerve, that reserve nerve, they get on it, and you need to ask for forgiveness, or you need to forgive them because getting on that reserve nerve, or maybe there's something, as I said, that you've left unsaid that you need to say. Maybe you're disappointed in someone, and you keep reminding them of your disappointment, but you need to encourage them rather than reminding them that you're disappointed in them. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe you're disappointed in yourself and you need to stop beating yourself up and rely on God to make a change. It's all about loving God, others, and loving yourself. For me, serving others is the best way to, to show people that I love them. Jesus talked so much about service, but he also demonstrated it in this scripture. After he washed the disciples' feet, he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This scripture has a lot of meaning for me because personally I want to be more like Jesus and he's saying clearly you should serve just as he did. And now I had put this sermon together a month ago so that the nut talk notes could be printed before Pastor Darren and Jenny left for their vacation and I had this scripture in there but something happened that actually gave this scripture more meaning. One of our local celebrate recovery leaders passed away, and you may have seen this image or a story about him on the news. His name was Rico, and he led a model celebrate recovery program for youth on the West Valley. And I relied on him to train so many people who wanted to start a celebrate recovery for our next generation, and he always did an amazing job. He also worked for APS, and he died on duty, so that, that may be why he looks familiar. And I was at a tribute service for him, and they shared an amazing story that actually involved that scripture. Last year, they were him and several leaders from his church were actually attending a National Celebrate Recovery Training in California with other leaders. And they went to the beach together to talk about what they had learned during that training. And they chose a place far from the water so that they could share without interruption, and uh, Rico talked about how Jesus washed the feet of the disciples and how it was like a commission for them to go out and change the world, and they had a, a huge impact. And they decided to pray together so that they would do the same. And they stood up, and as they're praying, water washes, and that during that whole time, water hadn't come up, but it came and washed their feet. And during the tribute service, I get to hear so many people come up and share about the impact that Rico had. He was commissioned, and so are we. He made an impact, and so can we. 
So I'm not saying that you need to open up a free feet washing service on the sidewalk. Pastor Darren has talked about how nasty, that he doesn't like feet, but actually in the scripture too, back then, how dirty that their feet were. They were walking in sandals everywhere. So that's not what I'm saying, but God may have a specific way in mind for you to serve. Uh, as mentioned, we have next steps, and that's a great opportunity to learn about that, that you can sign up for. But it's just a way to give back to Christ and give back to others. I believe the world is full of two kinds of people on the service side. It's the givers and the takers. The takers eat well and the givers sleep well. I want to encourage you to be a giver. I don't know what that looks like. As I said, it could be serving your church, serving your community, serving your family. It could be using your talents. There's so many talented people here in this audience. And we as a church as Pastor Frankie mentioned, we have a kind of a unique way to do that, to serve our community and serve our church at the same time. As he mentioned, we have a unique partnership uh, with Sequoia Pathfinder, which has been a great partner for us. Where other schools have said, no, you can't meet here, which a school actually did that when we were looking, this school said yes. And later this year, we're going to be celebrating five years uh, with a partnership here. Isn't that awesome? This school is part of our legacy and as, as Pastor Frankie talked about, there's a way to give back. Uh, today was the deadline, and you guys can see there's so much out there, but there's so much that we already put back as well. Church, this is something you guys have been a part of, and you've responded in a major way. We do ha still have some items that we're going to purchase, and there's a way, if you hadn't had an opportunity to give, um, you can still do that. You can do that online. It's in your talk notes on the Bible app. And if you're listening to this online, you just go to focus314.church, select give, and just uh, use, make sure you do that drop down school partnership. And as I said, giving will be open this week. And I am so, so excited about next Sunday. In fact, we get Pastor Darren back, but we also get to have the principal, the staff that have been part of the makers room and we're going to you know just demonstrate hey this partnership is meaningful so if you can't give financially just come and just say thank you to the principal and the staff it's been some and they are involved in our next generation and that's so important our next generation is growing up so fast i i see that happen right before my eyes for those of you that don't know Brene and i we have a daughter Mahela. she's back in the blue room and uh, people are saying all the time, they grow up quickly, and I'm seeing it right before my eyes. As you may or may not know, this church has a way to visualize this when we dedicate a child, and that's with the marbles here. When we dedicate a child, we give parents a jar with marbles that equal the amount of weeks that are left until that child turns 18. So right here, it's 936 weeks. When we dedicate an older child, it's even less, and it's more of a tangible reminder of just how much little time we really have with them. Sometimes, I know, personally experience this, in the chaos, it's easy to forget that we have that limited time. And our daughter, Mahela, was dedicated here, and I got a jar, and she accidentally broke it, and mar marbles went all over the floor, and... It was a, a little funny after. It wasn't funny when I had to clean up every single marble and try to find where all they went. But I also got to thinking, tomorrow is not promised. Our future is not promised. Just like the jar that, that shatters, just because we give you, or I got a jar that says 936 weeks doesn't mean I'm going to actually have that. That's not something that can be promised. And, but for me, I'm not going to live in fear of that. I'm actually going to do 
the opposite. I'm going to celebrate the fact that I have today. I'm not going to wait to live my God-given legacy. I'm going to do it now because it's so important. Don't wait to start living your God-given legacy. Think about the people who have waited to live their God-given legacy, and they have been buried, actually, before they could live it. I love this quote from Oliver Wyndham, Wendell Holmes. It says, many people die with their music still in them. Too often it is because they are always getting ready to live. Before they know it, time runs out. For me, I'm not musically inclined, so I'm going to substitute a word that we hear here Sundays. Many people die with their fire dormant within them. Too often it's because they're always getting ready to live before they run it, time runs out. We hear Pastor Darren talk about bringing the fire. He talked about it so much on, on Sunday because when we bring the fire, when we're excited about what, is, what God is doing in our lives in this church, it, we start influencing others. It has an impact and we start fulfilling our purpose. However, I know it's not easy and maybe it would help if we had a model. That's what this sermon series of been all about is those name droppers that serve as those cloud of witnesses that can show us a model. And I love that God actually gives us the ultimate model in Christ. Jesus came in physical form, not to make life easy for us, but he came to save us. And I love this scripture. This is amazing. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Have you read this? It almost sounds like Jesus is saying, you're gonna do greater things than me. God has great things in store for you. Think about it. What is something great that he has planned for you? Maybe you thought you were at the finish line on something, but God is telling you, no, you're not at the finish line. You're at the starting line. I have something even better. I, I want to do something great. What is that for you? How can you leave a legacy of influence? How do we start? You need to surrender to God, have faith, fulfill your God-given legacy. Now, it's not as simple as surrender to God, have faith. It's, there's a lot of steps in that fulfill your God-given legacy, and it's going to be different for, for every person. I don't know what that looks like, but it's, it all starts with surrendering. All right, thank you. So maybe you want to fulfill your God-given legacy and you want to leave that legacy of influence, but you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's your first step. And I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone who hasn't done that, an opportunity to do that. Come on, church, won't you please stand with me? Now, we've talked about legacy today. Are you satisfied with your legacy of influence? Or are you like me and you want to have a drive to... Have more than just 10, just more than an impact on 10 people. I want everyone to think about that and close your eyes and contemplate that. Maybe you've never accepted Christ. Maybe you want to rededicate your life to Christ and you want to have a legacy that includes Christ. That's so important. With no one looking around, I want to give you an opportunity with boldness to raise your hand so that I can be praying for you. Maybe this morning you've identified an area of your life where you need to have faith and you need to surrender to him. If that's you, why don't you raise your hand so I can be praying for you. Right, hands all over. Think, think about this as we sing this song together. Now we've talked about Rahab's legacy. We've talked about our legacy 
and we've most importantly talked about the ultimate model of legacy, Jesus. As we go into this next song, let's celebrate the fact that Jesus came and we have that opportunity to live out a God-given legacy. Let's celebrate that. Yeah.